the way addiction hits families, the way addiction can hit a community. When you work with people in addiction over the years, uh, you work in these addiction recovery groups, right? You work in facilities, you go into 12 step, into smart step programming, and you see how the family, especially if you end up in an Al-Anon meeting or, or some family therapy group, you get to see how one person's addiction can just shatter an entire family. My guest today, uh, Dr. Dorita, Dr. James Dorita is, um, he's, he's the, we're going to be discussing the impact of addiction on families. Uh, he's been doing this work for, uh, 25 years and 35 years. He's been in his own recovery. I'm going to let doctor tell his story, but again, here we are at the CCSAD, the C4 2020 virtual conference and I get my hands on the experts and get their information into your hands as fast as we can so we can bypass that middle part where we don't know what's going on. So folks, thank you for joining me on another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. My guest today is Dr. James Dorita. Doctor, thank you so much for being on the show here. Anything to do with families, anything we do to talk to parents about what their kids are doing, what their older kids might be doing, and how it's really impacted the entire family. So thank you for being with us. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's go back to the beginning because you got to tell me the story offline and I had wished I had hit record while you were telling it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and then I asked if you were from Boston or, or from New yeah. York. And, and now that I know that you're from Boston, I know the whole New York comment completely insulted you. So I apologize for that. But, you know, being from Massachusetts, talk about what you told me about when you were a kid in addiction. Sure. Well, first of all, the New York comment doesn't insult me. My daughter is at school in New York. <laughs> well, I just good. got back from there uh, the other day. Actually. Phenomenal. So, um, Phenomenal. I love New York. Good. Um, and I love New England, too. So so it started for me, you know, you had mentioned me being in recovery 35 years. So obviously, it started with my own journey and, you know, learning what I could about how to, how to stay sober and how to put my life back together. Right. And along the way, I started to do some volunteer work with, with uh, people that were struggling with addictions. And that's really where it started. And so for the first 10 years, the focus was on helping people that were in detox or get to detox or get to meetings after detox and things like that. But it was all, you know, sort of client centered or client driven. Uh, About 25 years ago, um, I met a guy who did did interventions and what his focus was, was more on the family and the family system and the impact of addiction than it was on the individual struggling with addiction. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I trained with him and got to know him and started to really change my, my sort of perspective on my focus to really look at what does this sickness we call addiction do to family systems. And you know, I know, and probably most of the audience listening knows, it devastates them. It rips them apart. Um, it did it to my family. It will do it to anyone's family who struggles with this addiction if they don't know what to do. And so for me, that was really the beginning. And I ended up doing a a private practice and I would get numerous calls from uh, mostly mothers crying and pleading, like, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. Can you help me? What should I do? My kid is out of control and and I don't know what to do. And, And they were very serious. They didn't know what to do. And so I and a colleague, two colleagues of mine, actually in recovery and childhood friends, believe it or not, since we were uh, like probably 10 or 12, um, all had survived addiction. Our community got devastated by addiction. 
There was a small sort of Italian enclave in Central Mass. Addiction blew it apart. We survived, the long story, going to short version. We survived and managed to tell. And so we sat down and said, you know, through our experiences, we've learned a little something about addiction and recovery. Maybe we got something that can help these families. Sure. And so we sat down and we started to write this book called The East Side of Addiction. The East Side is the neighborhood that we grew up in, the okay. East Side of Worcester. It was an Italian section, uh, predominantly Italian-Irish. And so uh, that was our, we took our stories and kind of combined them to tell the largest story that there is hope. People are resilient, even if they have addiction. You can get better if you know what to do and if you have the supports. And that's where most families fell short, is they really didn't know what to do. And so we put this book out. It received wonderful uh, reviews. And we traveled the circuit. You know, you mentioned Al-Anon. In Massachusetts, there's a wonderful group called Learn to Cope that was set up by a woman named Joanne Peterson, whose son was addicted. And she started this group in her kitchen, and it exploded. And probably 10 years ago, it's learn, the number two, and then cope. And now it's, it's branched out outside of Massachusetts. But what they do is help families to understand addiction. And to learn what do I do and how do I help? And so we, my partner and I, uh, one of the one of our co-authors, sad to say, passed away a couple of years ago um, from some heart complications. But he was 30, 32 years in recovery. Uh, we've been in recovery for 30, myself 35, my other partner, Jack, for like 32. And so we started to share and go around and do the circuit and talk to these people, again, that were predominantly mothers, families that were just lost and, and looking desperately looking for some hope, looking for some help, looking for some answers or some understanding, because what they were seeing wasn't what they were used to. They saw their loved one change and become somebody that, that they didn't know. And so that was really how this all really started. Let's talk, let's talk about the, the, the stigma and the myth of the tell me about your mother aspect of psychology. Is yeah. what, what is it? Uh, first, I guess I want to know, what is it about that question? Let's talk about your mother, you know, that, that is so prevalent. Why, why do we do that? And then number two, why does group work for families work? And I, and I know it's, it's a softball question yet within the answer, I know that parents, my, my guests, my, I'm sorry, my, my listeners start to realize that this connectivity piece that they're missing because they're isolated thinking they're the only person goes, goes through it. They really do get reinforced is you need to get your butt to a meeting, not just the addict who's struggling. So again, why Tell me about your mother. Why, why is that prevalent in psychology? Because I believe that's created the stigma of mothers actually going to get the help that they need. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is, you know, within that inherently there's this immediate sort of feeling of you're blaming me as the mother. Yeah. I'm being blamed for how my kid turned out. Right. And that's just not the case. Of course. I mean, we know understanding family systems that, you know, all members of a family impact one another for better or for worse. And, you know, that's just the dynamic. It doesn't mean that one's responsible for somebody becoming addicted. Right. However, we know that where you grow up, how you grow up, you know, all those factors play a part in influencing how your life goes. And so the sickness of addiction, it can hit anybody anywhere, anytime. And it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to families who say, well, we don't have that in our family, you know. 
So when we talk about it's a family illness, uh, there are people that become addicted who have no history of family addiction. There are people that get injured, they get put on pain medication, they become addicted. There are people that try it once, fall in love. You know, they have some sort of chemical sort of makeup that says this is the greatest thing ever and I'm going to sell my soul for it. Right. And so that's the part about addiction, Aaron, is there's so much misunderstanding and, and so much that people don't know. I mean, we know a lot nowadays. Yeah. You know, when I started 35 years ago, um, I don't think we quite understood the brain and the brain chemistry and how it plays into addiction as much as we do nowadays, but we still don't have all the answers. Sure. I can't tell you who's going to become addicted and who's not. We know the probabilities and we know, you know, some of the genetic predisposition theory and all of that. Um, but we really just don't know. So we do the best we can to try to help people understand, especially, you know, parents, cause they fall into that, you know, I'm responsible or you're trying to blame me, which is where the mother comment comes in. Sure, sure. It's really not the case, um, but that's the way it gets interpreted or translated and it can be really harmful. What we try to help people understand. So for the last 25 years, ever since that sort of epiphany for me about families in addiction, I have really changed the focus of my career to now work with families predominantly and not individual care or delivery of care for, for clients struggling with addiction. During, I still do some of that. Yeah, and real quick, during this family work that you're doing, are you also working with the suffering addict or, or just the yeah. family component while the addict's in treatment? No, actually, uh, one of my colleagues who's on that book, Jack Maroney and I, started a program, developed a program, an inpatient 30-day rehab up in northern Massachusetts. And... Once that was up and running, I started to go into developing a family program for that program. And so for, I don't know, seven years or so, we worked with families whose loved ones were in our treatment facility, and we would work with them. We developed a family weekend to bring them on campus. We would educate them. We would bring the families together with their loved one who was in treatment for addiction and really try to help them to sort of demystify some of this, try to understand it a little better, and give them some skills or some some tools that they could use to try to help support the loved one who was struggling with addiction. Because if you don't know how to do it or you don't know what to do, oftentimes you can do things that really aren't helpful. You know, we know blaming people, shaming people, you know, those things really, they, they, they are not effective. Uh, what? what we know, and I learned this from a therapist long ago, probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Uh, you know, I was developing this program with my partner, Jack, and this therapist said to me, that stuff is all wonderful, Jimmy, but you know what people respond to when they're sick and when they're hurting is love, compassion, and understanding. And so those treatment programs are great, but if you don't have love, compassion, and understanding, you're missing the ball. That's what people respond to, regardless of what the illness is. And I've held that ever since. That's really been sort of a guiding light for me in the work I do, is no matter what the situation is, no matter what the problems are or who the person is, try to treat them, you know, with some love, compassion, understanding and, and, and dignity and, and respect. That's what people respond to. Doctor, hang on just for a second. We're going to give a shout out to the CCSAD uh, uh, sponsors yeah. for this virtual thing. So stand by just really quick. Hey folks, okay. uh, this, this CCSAD conference going virtual this year now that we're dealing with covid c4 has done an amazing job to get this entire conference going online and the people behind the scenes jesse katie d uh john everybody over there at c4 making sure that we can still reach out 
stay connected and share the information that we are all discovering the the tactics that we're using the tools that we're using and being part of this uh, as beyond risk and back being able to interview these speakers obviously you know I love this. I love being able to do this. And we need to be able to give a shout out to corporations, to people who have stepped up and put some money into the hands and the pockets of C4 for the CCSAD virtual 2020 conference. And I want to talk about the silver sponsors right now. Alina Lodge, uh, Gosnold, Heal Behavioral Health, Origins Behavioral Health, Recovery Centers of America, Southworth Associates, the District Recovery Community, and Timberline Knowles. You guys, you silver sponsors, thank you so much for stepping in, showing up, giving time, giving money to CCSAD to C4 events to make sure that we can keep doing these programs. Uh, and for those of you who are listening, for those of you who are over here listening to these podcasts and uh, checking out this information, thank you so much for being a part of CCSAD's virtual 2020 conference. All right, let's get back to our guest now. Yeah, Doc, thank so you before, so much. Before you go any further, it's funny story, but when I started in this business, Aaron, yeah. Uh, 1985. I used to go to the to the CC at the, the conference down the Cape. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, and I used to think, God, I'd love to present here someday. And so fast forward the tape, and I've been going there for a long, long time. It's a great conference, and I'm just really thrilled to be a part of it. You're right; they do they do some really cool stuff. I'll say, last year was my first year there. They put me in the fishbowl. I had my whole podcast studio set up. I, I'm meeting an incredible people. You know, you know, listening to people like you talk, getting you guys on the air again to uh, talk directly to the families who are going through this. Because here, as experts, we all get we we close ourselves in these hotels and we we talk to each other and and we get to know each other. We get to like each other and trust each other and then there's these families who need to know what we know and on that note doctor with 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 the book with uh all these years in practice i am really curious what is effective you talk about you know blame and shame that doesn't work it's not effective what is effective what are in all these years of work in authoring this book and being with families on a consistent basis what works when you're sitting with a family and they've got one person who mental health or addiction has just spun the entire family, the entire extended family out and right. Everybody's suffering from addiction, not just this one person. Everybody's got the disease. Everybody's dealing with borderline personality disorder, not just, you know, poor cousin Sarah or, or, or uncle Bill, what, what works when you get the family together? What's your go-to top five, 10, three, one? What works? Well, I think first of all, where I go is where they are. And if they're in a lot of pain or if they're angry or if they're hurt, um, then, then I go there and validate that and give them a forum to, to vent some of that stuff. Because you can't really get anywhere while that stuff is seething. So if you purge some of that, give them an opportunity to talk about how angry they are, how hurt they are, how scared they are. That's, that kind of sets the stage or starts. And from there, for me, you know, uh, I have a full-time tenured faculty position at a college. I teach this stuff. That's what I do is I try to educate them, is try to educate them about addiction and why they're seeing some of the things that they're seeing and to really drive home the fact that your loved one, believe it or not, does not want to be doing this. 
your loved one does not want to be doing the things you see them doing. It's not that they're having a picnic or a wonderful time. They're struggling. They're scared. They don't know what to do, and they can't stop. And that is really scary. And so I try to educate people to help them to see, you know, not just some of the science that underlies addiction, but some of the behavioral stuff too, to try to let them work through and realize that, yeah, this this person is doing things I know they don't want to be doing to hurt themselves, to hurt me, to hurt their family. That's, that's not what it's about. But when you don't understand addiction, those are the things that you grope for. You know, did they get in with the wrong crowd? Are they doing this to hurt me? Is it, is it because they're angry at me, you know, uh, because I screwed up as a parent? Is it this? Is it that? And it's a sickness. And when you understand it, those things, not that they're not important, Aaron, because I know you know that they are, and I know your audience knows they are, but those are not primary. Those are secondary, tertiary, and they do influence and they play a part in this puzzle. However, once somebody has an addiction and the brain has been hijacked and, and you know, the neurocircuitry changes and, and, and addiction is now driving the bus, all those things really don't matter a whole lot. Hey, all that matters is this person is under, you know, someone, someone else's control and they can't stop. And it's making them do things that in their right mind they would never do to themselves, to people they love and care about. It just doesn't happen that way. And yeah. so trying to educate people as to what is really going on starts to open their eyes. And I can see it when we do these family workshops. You can see them, the ones that come in with the hardest sort of exterior, saying this is all crap and da, 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 don't give me this disease stuff. And if they didn't want to be like this, they'd stop it. And da, da, da. by the time they're done, we have our medical director do a morning, two and a half hour, really dynamic presentation. I watch the audience while that's happening and they start to do this. They start to look like, well, maybe, maybe this is a, a, a disease. Maybe they can't stop. Maybe that's why they're acting so crazy. Or maybe that's why they're doing the things that they're doing. And once they start to, to, to kind of understand it a little, that's when you can really work with them. As long as they think it's a choice or it's, you know, you're doing it because you like this lifestyle or you're doing it because you're having fun you know, it, it, they miss it. It's so a, we start there. It's amazing. Cause even the kids that I work with, the children, you know, 12 to 17 years old, they're like, at no time did I say, when I grow up, I want to be a cutter of addicted to video right. games, 18 hours a day, uh, promiscuous, like no, none of them have that. And that guilt and shame locks them in let's let's talk about this capability versus willingness right right because a lot of the the anger we have about capability um when we when we when we think it's willingness when we're like they could just stop they could just do this and then we realize that quite right now their brain isn't capable of that in the interim between willingness and capability um when we're dealing with family, another reason why I think families want to avoid family recovery is because at some point, the word, the E word, enabling, codependency, right. the C word is going to come up, which I don't <laughs> like either of them. However, they're going to come up. In your experience, who enables more, moms or dads? Oh, I, I don't know if I could answer that one with any real authority because I don't know. Um you know, I think traditionally moms are maybe a little closer to, uh, you know, the day to day and dads oftentimes are out of the picture 
or, you know, working and, and, um, but, but that's not a fair statement because I think emotionally or psychologically, everybody bears the brunt of it. Um, you know, and, and so everybody, this thing affects everybody. When we say addiction is a family illness, well, you know, that's not trite. That's not something we thought sounded good on a bumper sticker. It's because it is, and everybody plays a part. Um, while this thing is developing and, 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 you know, sort of getting traction. And then once uh, things implode and we're hopefully now on a treatment or a recovery trajectory, uh, everybody plays a part, you know, you know, and yeah, doc, doctor, all cards on the table. That's my trap question. And, and what's amazing is that at these conferences, I am meeting because like I said, we're all going to these events and talking with each other because we are up on the latest and this enabling thing, this codependent thing is dying a slow death in the world of recovery. And that's more guilt and shame. And I love your answer because you're like, no, it's not a fair question. Everybody plays a part. The enabling can look like the father avoiding coming home and spends all day at work and the, and the mom buying the kids hair and making them fish sticks so that at least he doesn't die on the street. Like it's not codependency. It's not enabling. You're doing everything that you can think of to keep your kid alive. So I love your answer that we all play a part and we're all suffering the experience. Well, I think the enabling thing immediately by default goes to blame. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm responsible or I'm at fault. I'm not doing something right. I'm doing something to, to add to the problem. And it's just not fair. Right. This is a sickness that affects everybody. And we don't need to alienate people or we don't need to push people further away. We need to try, you know, you, I know you know um, addiction is, is a, a sickness of, of disconnection and severing ties and pushing people out of your life. Recovery is about sort of reconnecting and bringing people into, into under the tent to help. And, we- and so – for me, anything that pushes people away, like enabling or terms like that, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of. I understand it, but I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. When when you're working with families, moving on from that, when you're working at families, uh, with families that have just been put through the ringer. This 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 child, whether they're young or old, has stolen from them. There's been violence at home. They've created so much chaos and devastation of the heart, let alone the pocketbook. You've put this kid into treatment three times. I got I got a question, two questions for you. Number one is about the cut bait. At when would you advise a family to just cut bait on the kid and say sink or swim? It's on them. And then number two, the question with that same setup, how do you instill hope in a family that has just every time they get a breath or the light peeks through the clouds, man, it's dashed right against the rocks yet again. How do you, how do you tell them, Hey, it's time to cut bait. And how do you give them hope? Yeah. Well, I think there's, I appreciate that. And, and, and I'm not sure if you're, if you're throwing another trap question, but I'm, I'm not on in. this one because I'm this gonna is, walk, I'm going to lead in with my gym. Good. Um, go for it. Cause I, I, I think the cut bait question is relevant. I think it's important. Um, and I don't know, I don't think I'm smart enough to know the answer to that. But what I tell people is again, this sickness is about isolation, disconnection, um, and pushing people away. And if the behavior get you to a point where you disconnect, then that loved one of yours, that may be the last person that they have any sort of anchoring to. And so I'm not saying you lay down and let them wipe their feet on you. What I'm saying is there are ways to say, 
I love you. I'm going to stay connected to you. I hate this stuff that's going on, but I'm not going to give up because I think you're worth it. Again, I'm not going to give you my purse or my checkbook. We're going to have some parameters or some boundaries here, but I'm not just going to say, see you later. I'm done with you. Call me if you ever get sober because that person may not get sober. That may be the last time they talk to that individual. Yeah. So I'm very leery on telling people, throw them out, cut them off, all of those things. I don't do that. What I say is, is there a negotiation room? Can you tell them, I love you. I'll be here. I'll take you to treatment anytime you want. I won't give you money. I won't let you live at my house. I won't, you know, do all of these things that I maybe have been doing, but I still love you and I'm here to help you. I'm not jumping in the quicksand with you, but I'm extending the bamboo pole. And I'm right here on solid ground. When you want to grab it, and I hope you will, I'm here. And I need you to know that. And if you don't grab it and you end up going under, I can't jump jump in there um, because something's happening to my screen. That's all right. I can't jump in there with you uh, because then we all go down. But I'm here. And so I'm really leery about, you know, divorce them, throw them out, cut them off, all of those things for that reason. Beautiful, um, beautiful, the beautiful. Question, the second question, again, was what? Hope. Yeah, this family's been oh, through the okay. ringer, opioids, meth, marijuana. They're stealing. Yeah. The, it's the, the yeah. lying, the drinking, the yeah. cheating. How do you look yeah. at them and say they're going to get better? Well, I, I don't say they're going to get better. I say they can. Take a look at this. You know, I did all those things. I lived all those things. Uh, there is hope that people can change. It's not easy takes work it takes a lot of support it takes a lot of you know rolling up your sleeves and getting in the muck uh, as someone with this sickness and as someone on the periphery or somebody there to support and help because there is muck addiction is messy however people do get better i am not alone i you know try to get them to go to a learn to cope meeting or go to a place where there are other families that are there sharing their you know similar to what they do at, right. at aa or na their experience strength and hope that we too were in that place, that hopeless, you know, horrible place. Um, but things change. I just did uh, actually this conference. I did a, a workshop with a woman named Maureen Cavanaugh, who wrote a book called "If You Love Me" about her daughter's addiction. And what I, she I, I have interviewed Maureen. What an yeah. amazing woman! <laughs> yeah, and so Maureen's daughter Katie just celebrated three years so Holy mackerel! So that's there's phenomenal. the hope, Aaron. Yeah, that people do. Sad to say, not everybody will. But people do. Yeah. And, and if I can get you to buy into that, then that's a lo- another step closer, you know, to, to sort of working with me or working with the treatment center or whomever, therapist, counselor, to really help do some work to, to help this individual who's struggling or this family that's struggling to move forward. And I know it can be done. If, if, if I didn't believe in this stuff, believe me, I, I, I would, I'd go do something else. <laughs> but I believe in this in, with, with my heart and soul, number one, from my own experience and what I've seen. I have seen the miracle time after time. Yeah. And I would venture to say you probably have too. I have. Um, it happens. And people do get better and change their lives. Doc, how are families going to get in touch with you when I have, when I have parents who are listening to this and are just like, I need okay. to, I need to get in touch with this doctor. Yeah. The easiest way is I just uh, partnered up with, again, my colleague, Jack Maroney and some others to open a treatment facility. It's a day treatment program called Lake Ave Recovery. We've got a website, www.lakeaverecovery.com. Um, we're in the process of developing uh, some work, uh, f- a family component in that program. 
similar to what I did uh, up at Spring Hill, which was the 30-day rehab, uh, because we know if you just treat the individual and ignore the family and where that person may be going back to, or at least those relationships, then for me, um, I, I think you're missing the boat. I, I don't think it's good care. I think you need to at least try to include the family, educate the family, support the family, because they can be the greatest source of support for an individual who's struggling with addiction. And so, you know, for me, it's that they just go together and, and have uh, ever since I, you know, again, changed my sort of focus about 25 years ago. Now, um, you know, if the family isn't involved, that uh, for me, it's, it's, it's really hard to just treat the individual. Right. Um, so I do a lot of work, a lot of education uh, around working with families. And that's probably what I do most in, um, in the process of developing that at Lake Ave Recovery. And what about someone contacting you directly? You got an email, you got a phone number? Yeah, number is 508-361-4258. Um, email is jimderita at gmail.com. I'm happy to respond and answer uh, any questions or uh, the book is on amazon.com. It's called the East side of addiction. There's a shameless plug for it right there. Fantastic plug. Ironically, that book through somebody we know locally got translated into Albanian because there's a woman who worked at the library here in Worcester. We did a presentation in, in the library for all of their staff. And she said, we have such a huge problem in my country of, of Albania would you be interested in doing something? And so she and a colleague translated the book into Albanian. Oh, fantastic. Um, of all the languages. Over there. Yeah, and here's the ace kicker. They invited Jack and I to come over for a week and work with them in all of their coalitions and their government and their treatment of providers to help them understand what we do here to treat addiction and what our experience has been. So last year we spent the week over there. It was, it was interesting. That's perfect. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, Dr. James Dorita, uh, D-I-R-E-D-A. It's jdorita at lakeaverecovery.com. And please go to his website yeah. at lakeaverecovery.com and yeah. the East Side of Addiction. Uh, Doc, thanks so much. This was great. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I'd like to do a longer show with you. I'd like to reschedule and uh, have us get please a longer do. show. Yeah, let's do. Let's please do. Please do. There's lots to talk about, Aaron. Absolutely. <laughs> Folks, and, and love it. yeah, thank you so much, folks. This is this is this is the key. Oh, what he said about you know enabling me, me trying to 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 trap him with the question, and then the cutting bait. His answer was right. You can say I'm not doing this anymore. It's like I, I'm, but I'm not gonna do. I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to do that. And this is where you start to take your home back, your value back, your child back. And it, it comes from a really, really potent place of knowing that everything you've done has gotten you to this point. And if you're going to get past this point, you got to do something better. I want to thank CCSAD. I want to thank C4 Events for being a part of the virtual 2020 conference. I want to thank my guest, Dr. James Dorita, author of The East Side of Addiction. And parents, remember, you take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third. Because in that way, you're going to do your best work with your children. Thanks to Deepin Productions, who does my music and editing and podcast production. And I will see you next week. Thank you, Aaron. Okay. Do I need to do anything? You're